Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero, and in this podcast, we help college students just like you get internships and job offers from top companies. In this podcast, we explore topics such as networking, interviewing, resume writing, and many other topics that will get you those jobs. Not only do I speak on these topics myself, but I also interview other subject matter experts, including CEOs, university presidents, and Fortune 500 executives. We also interview college students just like you in the hopes that you can relate to their stories and learn from their journey. So if you're a college student looking to get ahead, look no further and welcome to the Mastering College to Career podcast. All right, so before we get started, I want to take a couple of seconds to tell you about the Mastering College to Career Academy. The Academy is a mentoring program that helps college students land the jobs of their dreams before they graduate. In this academy, I will teach you application hacks that will automatically help you beat over 90% of all other job applicants, networking tactics that will give you access to the hidden job market where over 80% of jobs are filled, interview techniques that will practically guarantee you make it through every round of the interviews and win the offer. And I will also connect you with my network of thousands of HR professionals and hiring managers that love hiring my students. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, just send me a message and let's see if the academy is a good fit for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College Two Career Podcast. And today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects of all times, and that is confidence. Confidence, confidence, confidence. And to talk about this, I have the Chief Confidence Officer of America. I gave her that title. Well, she is the Chief Confidence Officer, but she's the Chief Confidence Officer of America. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a TEDx speaker. Um, she's just fantastic. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. So Alyssa Devere, welcome. How are you? How are you doing today? Oh, I love that intro. Who could be bad? I love that. Thank <laughs> you so much. And I'm thrilled to be here with you and your audience. So one of the biggest takeaways that I learned from reading your book is that the best, some of the best, easiest, most best way to gain confidence is to give confidence. Oh, I love you starting at the end. I love that. Because you know what? It's true. If, and it's so easy, right? You think about it, you give someone else confidence. And it's so easy to do. Look, Daniel, you just gave me a whole bunch of confidence with that beautiful high energy, right? It's a superpower we all have. You just used it. You took out your little imaginary cape. You threw it on me. And I'm sitting here smiling. I don't know if everyone on the podcast can see, but I am smiling back at, at Daniel because he made me feel good, right? So how easy was that? It didn't cost anything. You just give somebody confidence. It's like, you know, it's, it's self-generating energy for both of us. I know. And I wanted it. Like, I love it. I generally started that way. And I, I kind of, I naturally do that, you know, without, um, I do that with my students a lot, but I never realized how important and how simple that was and how that gave them confidence. And so that, that to me, when I read it in the book, it clicked. And that's why I loved your book so much. And I know we're going to dive into it because it really showed the science behind of confidence and why, why doing, why giving confidence works or how your brain works and all that was amazing. But before we really dive into all this, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started with this such an important topic? Oh, I appreciate that. So 
I went uh, down the you know Ivy League path, so to speak, and, and did what I was supposed to do as a good girl, got good grades and got a good job and all that and ended up in a marketing career. And one of the things that, I mean, I was very confident, I was very good, I was respected for what I did, made a lot of good money and all that, and found myself going, ah, this is it, that's, that's not what I was put on the planet to do. And I knew that throughout my career. I mean, I even lived overseas and did, I had some really great experiences, so I have no complaints, but I really started to wonder, like, you know, this is not enough for me, this is not enough for my soul. And um, I talk about my son, Zach. He is a senior right now at University of Vermont. I should say right now, he'll be an entering senior. So he's probably the same age as a lot of folks listening here. And I have a profound appreciation uh, for that, that whole mindset. But needless to say, when Zach was about eight, he was diagnosed with a really serious, very scary neurological condition that the best and the brightest neurologists in the country were telling me he's going to be paralyzed. And at that moment, it was almost as if the world stopped for me. My confidence fell down and couldn't get up. Uh, you know, there was a lot of blame, uh, total powerlessness. And I belligerently would ask them questions, you know, as a mom, as a parent, and, you know, you probably don't appreciate this until you actually are a parent. You get this fearlessness of like, I wouldn't do it for myself, but for my kid, I'll, you know, anything. And so I started asking questions. I did not like the answers I was getting because a lot of the times they were either, I could just see that the doctors were not confident. You could see it in their eyes. You could hear it in their answers. And I'll never forget this, Daniel. I went and I won't throw them under the bus. It's one of the best children's hospitals in the country. But the head of neurology was Googling stuff in front of me. And I was like, that's it. I'm done because these guys and gals don't know what they're talking about clearly. And somebody need I need to find some way to answer these questions. So went on this manic mission and learned how the brain works myself. It took several years and all kinds of um, channels. And in addition to figuring out what was going on with Zach and his neurological situation, I had this like moment of, oh my God, this is how confidence works. Why doesn't anyone tell us this? Like, why isn't this a college class? Like, why, why doesn't everyone know this? And went back to about 60 neurologists and psychologists and all kinds of people. And I was like, is this true? Is this true? And they would be like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, that was kind of the calling. And here we are today. Wow. That, that's amazing. And when you talk about like confidence being um, should be a class, I, I talk about the, that there should be a, a class on gaining clarity, on networking, on personal finances. And I think confidence is one. I think the psychology of understanding how to interact with other people is so important. Confidence being a really big um, part of that. So as you know, and we talked about this, this podcast is it's called Mastering College to Create. It is all about helping students transition, master like beautifully from college to career and graduate with a dream job. And you mentioned this, this study twice in your book. And it was one of those, like it caught my attention. I wrote it down. It said in a 2014 Harvard study found that on average women only apply to roles when they are 100% certain when they meet the job requirement as compared to men who apply with only a 6% match. Right. Yeah. And that to me really hit home because this is something that's come up multiple times. Um, even our, our mutual connection, uh, 
Dr. Jeanette Winters, when she talked about this to our to the students in my group coaching call, she says that women need to um, apply for jobs even if they don't meet 100% of it. I think this is probably where she read this from, maybe. Yep, yep. Um, I want to talk about that. And because over 50% of college, overall college students in the country are women. And I do see this when I am working one-on-one with my students, that women tend to lack the confidence to apply for jobs while men are more bullish and are willing to put themselves out there even more. Yeah, no. And first and foremost, I got a shout out to Jeanette. She is one of the best people on the planet and I love her dearly. Uh, she sent me even her fortune cookie uh, thing last night. I was cracking up because it says like that confidence is the hinges of success, right? And I was like, yeah, um, she's just awesome. So listen to her podcast if you haven't already. But she um, and I obviously saw the same study. It's been re- it's quoted all the time, and and it, it highlights this idea of perfectionism that unfortunately women are more susceptible to and for some reason. Now, neurologically, I can't really explain it. There's a lot of debate still between the difference between male and female brains and how they operate, particularly in this area of decision-making and confidence. However, we do know that the typical woman will look at a job description and need to check off 100% of the boxes, like you said, to be even, to even feel like they're entitled, and I'll use that word very deliberately, entitled to apply. A guy, forgive the, the crassness, but a male will look at the same job description and be like, I can do half of those things in my sleep. The other half, I'll figure it out. And so they'll be like, I'm totally qualified. There's a total different perspective of their entitlement or their competency. And, you know, I find it a little bit sad in a way that we have to judge ourselves based on what we've already been able to do. Because a growth mindset, it was just another wonderful set of conversations, of course, you know, hearkening back to Carol Dweck's work. We know that people who want to learn, who are eager to learn, who pursue the the learning are more successful in general. And of course, you know, again, you could kind of almost draw a gender line there where you say, you know, you even said to me a lot of your, your demographics on the podcast skew to women. Well, you know, that's an indication that those people are growth minded. They want to learn how to do this. Yet... We don't allow ourselves to say, you know what, I can learn in a job. I can learn to do something. I can allow myself the confidence to say, I don't know how to do 50% or 20% of that job, but shoot, I'll figure it out. Now, why and how has that happened? I can give you a lot of opinions, right? But it is, it is a, a known fact. What is the implication? Doesn't mean you should willy-nilly apply for every job that you see and say, well, I'll figure it all out. But at the same time, give yourself more credit that no one knows 100% of any one job. You always have to learn more. You always have to figure it out. But if you have a willingness and, and a game plan, how you're going to do that, why are you any less qualified than anyone else? Yeah. You know, coming from um, spending six years in PepsiCo and being in the decision-maker role, who gets an internship, who gets hired, and um, and, and, I, and I'm telling you for working with hand in hand with HR, when an HR or even recruiter or coordinator is asking a hiring manager or, or the director or manager of a team saying, hey, I know you're looking to fill this position. Why don't you tell me what you're looking for? That's how the job description is being built. They, in the industry, you call it uh, like a purple squirrel, right? Like it's like you want to give this ideal candidate. I want someone that speaks 36 languages that right. also knows how to code and has amazing personal skills. And, um, 
and to love run a triathlon. Yeah. And can run a triathlon. <laughs> yeah. All, and, and so all that is listed right. as what we look, what they're looking for. And so as a candidate, I'm telling you, look, you don't need to have all that. They know that they're not going to get all that. They're just, that's their wish list. It's like a little kid in Christmas is their wish list. And, and so don't let that stop you. And so I, I love the fact that I remember, uh, Dr. Winter share with the students that look if you if if you meet half of that apply like let them tell you no like don't be the one that tells you no and I, and I love that so I didn't want to talk about that because that has to do with the confidence of not even applying and and that to me it, it, I, I hate to see that because even when I'm having conversations I get students to say hey should I even apply for this role I'm like what's stopping you why not well, and flip, flip the equation, right? Like if you were the hiring manager and I say you, Daniel, you've been in that role, but you know, anyone can imagine hiring somebody else, even if you've never done it. Somebody sits at the table or across the Zoom camera and says to you, I got this. You know, this, this is why I know I got it because I've done these things. I have a, you know, this is how I'm going to figure out these other things and I'm really excited to do them. But says it with that level of confidence and conviction is a thousand times more interesting to hire, you know, like you as a hiring manager, you want to have the confidence that that person can do it. If they're sitting at the table and they're like, yeah, I've done it before. Yeah. I think I could do it again. Like, I mean, it, that in and of itself is the grandest wish of all right. As a hiring manager is somebody that I feel confident can get it done because they feel confident they can get it yep. done. Absolutely. Um, one thing I read in your book that I was like, what? I have to wait until I'm 60 to gain confidence? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Right. And so you talked about that it, most people take up to 60 years to find their confidence. And I found that really, really interesting because you then gave advice on how to get there sooner. So I want to ask you, what can college students do so they can gain their confidence much, much sooner than 60? Isn't that the Oh, isn't that such, I was like, when we did that study, that was like the first study we did at the Institute. And I was like, oh no, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I hope it's going to crack people up. If you're driving, you might want to pull aside for a second. We actually went back to those six-year-old people who responded. We had hundreds of them and we asked them why, what was the change, the switch that flipped at that age that all of a sudden they felt like I'm confident and they all said it. And some of them said it with more more flair than others. It's because they've given up caring what other people think about them. Because they don't give a, you know what? So a purple squirrel, they don't care. You know, they just don't, they finally go, you know what? This is who I am. I'm good with it. I'm not going to change. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm confident with that. So it is that acceptance of their values. And as I talk in the book, the values, needs, and wants are really your boundaries, your, your borders. And they get that, but they don't figure it out to their 60s. So yeah, so my mission, the reason why we're here today, quite frankly, is because I want people to hack it. And the way that you hack it is, is pretty straightforward, quite honestly. Uh, you have to understand a little bit about what confidence is concretely, you know, not just kind of, you know, again, we interviewed 15,000 people at the Institute over the first couple of years, and we got answers to the question, what is confidence, was all over the map. So you have to understand definitionally what it is to be it. But you also, the more you understand about your brain, you don't have to have a degree in brain science, but understanding the way you make decisions, understanding the way you regulate emotions, understanding the fact that your brain isn't fully developed till you're 25. I mean, hello, I thought that was the thing that was going to rock your world, right? Like you're in college and you're being asked to do incredible amounts of executive functioning 
and that part of your brain isn't even fully developed. Like that to me is like, what are we doing? But you know, when you understand that, then you can manage it. It's kind of like, you know, like I'm driving around the summer here in the summer and there's roads that are under construction. Like if you know they're under construction, Waze doesn't tell you that, but you know that so you go a different way, right? You, the more you know, and you still get to the place where you need to get to on time without being aggravated. And you know what? That's kind of the same thing. You understand the, the way your brain works. Uh, you can manage it and succeed. And so once you understand that, that's a huge step. And then of course, the last step is to be able to, to identify those moments where you're getting challenged and have tools and weapons, like, you know, whatever you want to call them. I have a whole superhero, you know, metaphor throughout the book, but you know, these ways to protect your, your confidence, because guess what? The world is going to constantly try and steal it and you have to be prepared for that. So that's, that's the hack really. And I know you talked about brain science and I think that's really uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about your book is learning the brain science behind, behind it. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the brain science and what really drives confidence and how our brain is really divided into all these different sections and Absolutely. their parts behind it? Right. Well, let's, let me be clear. You would use the word divided. It's not divided at all. All the different parts work together very much um, in tune. In fact, a lot of what brain science is still struggling with is figuring out how all these different parts interact. But needless to say, you know, in the book, I describe some major components, one being the brain stem, which is uh, the part of your brain that is responsible for your autonomic, which is, um, it's not really synonymous with automatic, but autonomic meaning things that you don't have to consciously think about. So breathing or your heart beating and so forth. Drinking coffee um, for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the limbic system, which is your emotional uh, headquarters and uh, limbic system gets data from memories and all your different senses as well as the environment what's going on I mean we get all kinds of data from all different places formulate into emotions and that is in the middle of your brain and then the very top part of your brain is the cortex but I speak specifically about the prefrontal cortex which is in the very front part of your head and behind your forehead and that's where all the smarts are. That's where your intellectual capabilities and that's where the executive functioning is. So anytime you're analyzing, correlating, uh, calculating, any kind of a way that you're taking information and creating an opinion or a conclusion or a decision. Now here's the root of it is that confidence is actually a decision, right? So all of that, and what I mean by a decision is either yes, I'm confident about the truth of something, or no, I'm not. Am I confident right now? I'm sitting here doing this interview with Daniel. I'm looking at you. Absolutely, I'm confident. So I've taken all that data. I'm making a decision. Yes, I am. That information is all in my prefrontal. And that's where I come up with that yes or no answer. That's the root of confidence. Now, where things get, get a little bit, we'll go along the squirrel line. This gets a little squirrely, is there's another part of your brain called the amygdala. It sits in the limbic system. And its function is to look for danger. It, it's looking to protect you from physical or emotional danger. So anytime the amygdala is kind of put into alert, you know, something's incoming. And my simple example is if you're driving along again a road and there is somebody that cuts you off, you don't sit there and go, hmm, let me think, should I swerve out of the way? You just do it, right? It's reactive, like drinking coffee, right? I need, a, I need something, right? You swerve out of the way. That is your amygdala going, emergency, hello, 
sends the alert down into the brainstem. The brainstem reacts and takes over. You're not even thinking, really. However, if it's something that you have a moment to consider, it could be you're learning a new skill. You know, it could be a physical skill. Maybe you're learning to skateboard or you're learning to play an instrument. And, you know, again, that, that oh my God, this is something's going to hurt me goes off. You have a moment. Now think about anytime somebody insults you or criticizes you or corrects you or does anything that, again, kind of attacks your emotional well-being, potentially, potentially attacks, right? That amygdala wakes up and says, oh, we got to do something with this. Hello. Um, and again, you have now more time to either send it to the brainstem, make that decision, send it to the brainstem or send it to the prefrontal. Now, you don't necessarily know this, right? So imagine you're sitting in a classroom and I'll do this for your audience specifically. You're sitting in a classroom and the teacher says, you know, um, what's the answer to X, Y, Z question, whatever it is. And you answer and then somebody else in the classroom goes, oh no, Daniel, that's not right. And like totally dishes you in front of the rest of the room. At that moment in time, you not only want to evaporate, right? You just literally want to be out of that context, but you may not want to answer again next week. So your confidence has been completely kicked. Your amygdala went off and said, okay, don't answer again. And so, I, you know, this is all the brain going, we remember what happened last time. No, we're going to go into the brainstem next time. We're going to hide. We're going to protect ourselves. We're not going to let ourselves be vulnerable. That learned behavior then causes us over time to have our confidence not just eroded, but we don't behave in a way that allows us to apply for jobs or do other things that have now been like, we've been trained, no, don't do that because it doesn't feel good. Mm. I make so much sense. And it's, it's so interesting because for me, I, and here, I, students, you need to understand this. Look, this podcast, maybe 30, 40 minutes long max, right? And there's so much, to talk about that we won't be able to get through it but what i what my hopes from you under from you hearing this podcast and listening to this is that you're intrigued by the subject of confidence and you're going to want to learn more right uh because we won't cover it all and that's why you, you'll see a link in the podcast notes where you can buy her book because this book is amazing it, it's really going to help you it's definitely worth the four hours of reading and it's it's going to be a no-brainer Hey, Daniel here. Before we get to the second half of this episode, I wanted to share with you Ashley's story and how she got her dream internship at Disney. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I'm Ashley, and I'm currently a guest experience management intern at Walt Disney World. And quite honestly, uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for joining the Mastering College to Career Academy. Before the Academy, I had a pretty good plan on a where to go, but I didn't know how to get there. So thanks to joining the Academy and going through all the content and just engaging with Daniel and you know, and himself on LinkedIn and everything, I was able to build up the courage, basically build up my resume and just apply for this amazing program that I'm a part of right now. Um, it, what's amazing is that I get to park every single day right next to um, the Tron construction. So I get to see all of that in action. Um, being a management intern and it's so great I absolutely love it and I recommend that you join as well so you can be a part of something great that's gonna help with your career 
and it's less than even a class like a college credit so definitely you get your money's worth uh so please do it and just go out there and get your dream internship and or job if you want me to help you reach your career goals just contact me and now let's get back to the rest of the show we're, we're going to continue on i, I want to talk to you about something that it's a big big topic when i talk to my students every single week imposter syndrome oh. right as a student and they're going into the workforce they're so like this is such a big big topic for them why do you think that is and how can they overcome this oh my goodness well it's very much related to what we talked about before you know perfectionism and imposter syndrome are cousins right maybe even brother and sister imposter syndrome for those of you who don't you know, you've heard it, you maybe you don't know it. I like to explain it in terms of the way you feel, right? So you go, you, maybe you get a job, you apply and you get it. And your first couple of weeks, you're sitting there going to yourself, please don't let them find out that I don't know what I'm doing. Please don't let somebody realize that I am not as confident as they think I am, right? That's an imposter syndrome. The reality is this, everybody has it. Like, you know, there's these surveys that 75% of the time people have it. All right. You know what? I do these surveys in my workshops all the time. I do them live and everybody reports it, that they have it. Not all the time, but they have had it or they've had it recently. And it is that feeling that I am not as good as the rest of the world thinks I am, but you are. If you weren't, you probably wouldn't be in that role, number one. Number two is we always self-criticize. Now, Here's, here's, a, here's a really interesting, almost it's tangential, but you'll understand why I think imposter syndrome is so, so self-inflicted. It's ridiculous. If, if I said to you, Daniel, you know what? Um, I, um, I have a, a TV show and um, I'm going to be live for the next 12 years on you know, network TV and you know, my father is the president of this. And, you'd be like, okay, but you would not be half as impressed because you know who I am now because we've talked, right? So you've self-imposed your own, she can't be as good as somebody else, as Oprah, because you don't know Oprah, but you know Alyssa, right? Mm -hmm. We put these filters on ourselves of like, we can't possibly be good enough to know Oprah. I know Alyssa, big deal, right? So we do these kinds of things to ourselves all the time we discredit our own value our own ability our own everything and so i call that the friends and family factor we literally say if i know them they they can't be that good me i can't be that good that you know that's just ridiculous but you know i guess the question is and i'll ask you why do you think it happens so often to your audience where they haven't even had the experience yet they're worried about it why do you think that happens so I think many reasons, but one that I see very common is they feel that there's a lot of qualified or individuals with more experience. Like let's talk about going on right now, right? So unemployment as we speak is 13%. Um, a lot of people have been laid off. College students are, are, are graduating in May, they graduated. And so you have college students that are applying for jobs that people that are overqualifying are applying for the same jobs because they just want a job, period. So the students then come and ask me and say, why would a company come hire me versus someone who has five, six, 10, 
20 years of experience in, in, in irrelevant in that same subject matter, right? My reply to them, so I think that's where they, they lack, you know, the confidence and they have this imposter syndrome, like, hey, I'm not a marketer or I'm not in finance or I'm not an accountant. Like, I don't have as much experience as them. But I think that is why they ha they're having those confidence issues. And those happens all the time, but it's just happening more now because of the circumstances. Yeah. I well, think the I mean, way... I Go ahead. No, please. No, keep going. I was going to say there's two secrets on the other side of that door, right? Yeah. So I'm going to let the elephant out into the room, so to speak. One is if somebody's overqualified and they're applying for a job, trust me, they are totally lacking confidence because A, they've been let go from whatever they've done. So they're coming in already wounded. And B, if they're overqualified, the hiring manager knows that that person is not gonna be fully engaged in that job. So let me tell you, your, your students have a huge advantage in the eyes of the employer. Yep, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm literally creating a presentation for this um, that I'm creating a, a, a lesson on this because it's such a big issue. And I wasn't even gonna dive into the confidence part because that is not my subject matter. Like I'm not, I'm not a subject matter on this topic, but what I, what I can tell you from looking at both sides of the table, the, the student side and the employer side is that one, they can pay you less as a student. So, I mean, as a business decision, if you can do the same task and pay you less for it, that's, that's great. Two, you come in without bad habits. I remember this when I was at PepsiCo and I would hire salespeople. And I would hire salespeople that had 10, 15 years of experience working at Coca-Cola, Budweiser, um, any other major competitor. And they would come in, I would hire them because, you know, at first I was like, great, 10 years of experience. I want them on my team. And what I realized is a couple of things. One is that they're always saying, well, at Coca-Cola, we did it this way. Or at Budweiser, we did it this way. And it was hard for them to get them to follow our processes and procedures. And then two, it was, they, they bought some of those bad habits and it was really hard to retrain them on the, the way we ran business at PepsiCo. And so there's many reasons, but I'm sure all that has to do with, with, with confidence and why they're saying that has to do with confidence. Now that I read this book, I feel well more <laughs> educated on it and I can see it. But as a student, I, I do believe that there's, um, there's going to be room for both in, in a sense that there are going to be some jobs that are going to be filled by more experienced people. That's fine. But I don't think that all jobs are going to be filled by experienced people. And so there's still room for you to apply for those jobs. Well, and you know, I think, again, as a employee, uh, as an employer myself, you know, here's, here's where I draw the line. And again, it's anecdotal based on one woman's experience, but I don't want a college graduate and a recent college graduate to tell me they understand marketing. They don't. Now they may understand. So, and, and here's my real pet peeve. I know social media, you know, you know how to do Facebook with your friends right? It's a very big gap. So if you understand and you make a point to understand what you know and don't know and what you're willing to learn, yeah, you know what? That's, a, that's the kind of hire that I want to make. Somebody who has baggage, you're absolutely right, Daniel. Like, yeah, I don't really want to have to un unwind that. But if they have knowledge, um, you know, for example, I just hired a very senior marketing person and the lack, I don't have to spend months training her. She gets mm -hmm. it. She knows what it is expensive yes right now I'll be honest with you there's you know you get some really good people for cheap for lots of reasons because mm -hmm. they don't want to go back into a corporate office so they're doing kind of freelance stuff mm -hmm. so you know you're up against that too right now but there's certain areas 
certain things, certain tasks, certain, certain disciplines that, you know, you're right, that I don't want to pay a bazillion dollars for. And I want somebody who's eager and fresh and wants to learn to be molded. Yep. It's just, you have to know what those lanes are, you know? So if you're going into a highly, you know, accounting, you mentioned that before, I think that's a great example. Like you're not ready to give tax advice or financial advice to anyone at that age, obviously. But there are certain things in accounting that come over time and, and discipline, but there's a lot of, I don't want to even use the word grunt work. There's a lot of this kind of entry level work that, yeah, a college graduate, that's what you want. I mean, that's awesome. Cut your teeth and go forward. So, you know, a little humility goes a long way, but at the same time, you know, finding the lane that you can fill and why and how and how you're going to grow into in the next one, that's your job. That's what you need to do before you even apply for it. No, I agree. And we can definitely talk about this forever, but I know we want to be respectful of your time. So I know we have a couple of minutes left and I have a couple of questions from students. So it's going to be rapid fire. All right, you ready? Let's just ready. rapid fire. Let's do this. So first question is from Michelle. She is a student. For, she's part of my uh, Mastering College Degree Academy and she attends Columbia University. And she asks, how do we unlearn or our self-limiting beliefs to gain inner confidence? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks, Michelle. So here's the thing. You don't unlearn them. They are what's called root source thinking. They're in your brain. They're not going away. What you can do is recognize that they're there. As I said earlier, you know, you have to understand things that are fundamental to the way that you think and behave and subsequently then create new neural pathways that are more positive in what you want to see. So how do you do that? We have some tools like the confidence quotient and this, that, and the other, but just recognizing those, noting that I don't like when I do that, that's a hell of a good place to start. Excellent. Jack, University of Kentucky, also a student from the Mastering College Degree Academy says, um, how do you stay confident and bring that energy without being too boastful? I love this question because in interviewing, there's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. So Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is take yourself seriously, with, but don't be too serious in, in your communication. In other words, you want to be humble and humane, but at the same time, speak your mind, right? And that's, that's that fine line, like where do you dance on? We could do a whole podcast on the difference between confidence and arrogance, of course, but I'm not going to go that far. It's suffice to say is this, when you're in an interview, when you're having communication in any format, try to talk as much about the other person or ask questions, involve them as you do yourself. I know we always want to start every sentence with I, me, my, and I did, I don't do, right? You have to really be cognizant of that because the interviewer, believe it or not, wants to have confidence too. And the only way to do it, Daniel, you know, you got to give it, you got to give it. So you got to bring other people into that conversation, even if it's one-on-one or on paper or in the email. So Samid, University of Texas, Austin, um, he asked, um, what is your advice for overcoming imposter syndrome and self-doubt when it comes to interviewing and empowering individuals? Oh, wow. Again, another huge question. So I'm a big believer in role plays. I think role plays build not only that, you know, that safe space, that sandbox to play with questions and answers, but it also really builds some neural pathways that when I get this question, this is how I'm going to react. So you have that preparation, really important, particularly for somebody who's introverted. You need time to think about it. So allow yourself to do that. That would be my best tip. I, I think the second best tip, and, and this goes to the whole section I wrote about structures, right, is have a set of structures. And a structure can be any kind of a lucky charm, a song, a quote, 
something that gets your brain in that space that, that knows I can do it. It's an endorphin boost, literally neurologically, it gets you in a place that you feel confident. So I highly recommend, I know it can be something as silly as a rabbit's foot, but whatever works for you, a power pose, a picture, a song, you know, whatever it is, get it on before you walk into that interview. It is really magic for your brain. Love it. Ashley uh, from the University of Central Florida said, what would be your favorite authors or speakers in, ter in terms of building confidence and battling imposter syndrome as a young professional? Oh, goodness. Oh, oh, oh. Well, obviously my TED Talk, I hope people will help people. That That is a little self-promotion, but I do know it's helped a lot. So hopefully that's good. You know, Brene Brown is a genius. I love her work, of course. Uh, I mentioned Carol Dweck. She's been around a long time. Her growth mindset, very, very positive. I think these are all really good role models for people to listen to. You have, uh, you know, lots and lots of TED Talkers out there. And I, I, I listen to hundreds of them, so I can't even think off the top of my head who are my favorites because there's so many. I, I would say this, though. You know, Daniel, your work in and of itself, you know, you may not be of that notoriety yet but you know you're doing some great things in a way that is very tangible to people and I always say look around your world find people that are in your world you know going back to what I said earlier about friends and family we discount sometimes people we know and say they can't be our role models absolutely those are your role models like start to be mindful of people that you really respect and you say they're a confident person that person can teach you more just by paying attention if you pay attention to them than anyone's TED talk or book can do. So start paying attention to that. I think also, you know, there's a lot to be said for having mentors and having people that say, you know what, you're being ridiculous. You are totally qualified for this and here's why. And a mentor does not have to be a paid professional person. It could be a best friend. It could be a sibling. It could be anybody, somebody that you trust that, you know, you can have an honest conversation and say, you know, I think I can do this. And they come back and they go, knucklehead, of course you can. So, you know, don't, don't get too extravagant. Look around your world. Who's in the world already that can really be that role model. Excellent. Last three questions. So yeah. I'm interested to know what are some common correct. This is from Jenna from the university of central Florida. She said, I am interested to know what are some common characteristics among people who are confident. Is there a common mindset slash habit? Great question. And you know, in the book, there's a whole list of confidence mm -hmm. characteristics, right? So top of the list, I'll just give two or three because uh, the list is long in the book, but it's not even a conclusive list, right? Again, look, think about people you know that are confident and just start to think about what it is that they do. How do they walk? How do they talk? How do they dress? And there are commonalities. And the top of the list is they're calm, right? I'm sure you've had guests. I don't want to throw anyone under the boat, under the boat, under the bus who start a podcast and they're like, oh, blah, blah, right? And even if people are not seeing me, they're hearing that frenetic anxiety, that triggers anxiety and freneticness in other people's heads. When you see it, it does the same thing. So you walk into a meeting or an interview and the interview is all nervous, like you're gonna be nervous. That is part of what the mirror neurons in our brain, good and bad, create for us. So calmness and that sense of control and presence, that is the top of the list. So I'm going to stop there because again, the list is yeah. long, but I think that in and of itself, you know, everything else ties to it. I thought it was very interesting um, that introvert, in the, people who are introverted actually have more 
traits of confidence and extroverts. And I would have thought it was backwards. We talked about it in the book. Everyone does. And I, you know, I got, I tear up when people say to me, I'm an introvert. If somebody, you know, they say I'm an introvert, I can't be confident. I said, look at the list, you know, mindfulness and presence and thoughtfulness and better listeners and all the things that are on that list. I, I said to them, is that an extrovert or an introvert? Is that an introvert? I said, okay, well, good. You know what? There's been studies that say people want to work for introverts for that reason, because they give them confidence. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Jordan J from Missouri Western State University um, wants to know how becoming more disciplined affects your confidence. How becoming more disciplined? It, well, it depends or on. Can becoming more disciplined gain, build your confidence? Okay. Fair. Thank you for rephrasing yeah. it. Jordan J, thanks for the question. So, you know, of course, this has to do with your values. If being disciplined is something you value, then it's going to help because you are going to have more preparation, more thoughtfulness. It's going to help you be more mindful about everything you do, how you act, how you interact, how you decide things. Great. However, the big caveat is if you are not, if that's not something you value, you don't value discipline, you like being renegade, you like being spontaneous, then it's going to backfire. You know, it really gets down to, again, what you value, what you need and you want. And some people really need that organization and some people don't. And, and that's not an introvert, extrovert, that, you know, different personality types, but, you know, knowing what's important to you and what makes you think. Like I have a friend who kept complaining to me that she couldn't think straight in her office. And I would say to her, why? And she's like, because it's so messy. I'd be like, I mean, clean it up, you know, like, hello. But she just kept not doing it, kept complaining. Finally, I said to her one day, why are you complaining about it? She goes, I don't want to clean it up. I said, okay, well, that's fair. But if you value organization and it's causing you self-recognize that this is causing a lack of confidence, then let's do something about it. But here was the clinch. She couldn't clean the whole thing up in one day, just couldn't do it. So we said, what's one thing you can do today? Like one thing you can clean up. She's like, I can clean up my desk. I agree. Cleaned her desk. She got a little small win, a little dopamine hit. Next day, she said, you know what? I'm going to clean the file cabinet. Great. After a week, she was there. And at, at the end of the week, she's like, you know what? I'm all organized and, 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 and I feel so much better and I can focus now. Awesome. But again, for her, that was important. Some people may like that kind of disorganization. I can't tell them that they need to clean their office to feel better because it's not going to work for them. I love it. Last question. This is from a, a student who messaged me anonymously, so I'm not going to mention his name, um, but I'm going to read the question because I think it's an, it an amazing question. So it's a little long, but I think there's a lot of students who probably were afraid to ask this type of question. So I think this um, is going to be something that's going to apply to a lot of students. So over the course of the pandemic, I've noticed my con confidence improving. I suspect this may be because of my because I am a confident introvert trying to fit in an extroverted world. I have a desire to innovate and lead others, but almost ex exclusively when there is not a louder voice in the room, in which case I tend to go quiet. Does the fact that I've become more confident over quarantine perhaps indicate some toxicity in the workplace? Question mark. Or have some of us just had a lot of time to reflect and grow over the past few months with no other commitments, question mark. How do I avoid going quiet again? Any mantras, tips on how to make myself heard without saying sorry? Oh, I, you know, we could do three podcasts on that one question. Brilliant answers, yes, yes, and yes. I think that the 
quarantine has given introverts, myself included, the ability to be like, hey, wait, you know what? I need more time to think and process and be prepared because you're not in that meeting environment. You're not at that water cooler, here's the question, react. You know, you don't have all that. So it definitely is a relief. I, I almost feel myself getting anxious about going back to the real world again. And I'm sure your anonymous person is like thinking to themselves, I'm really not excited about that because then you are under rapid fire. Many of the clients that we coach, many, don't like participating in meetings, period, in any format because it puts them on that firing line because it's like, I have to react, I have. And what we tell them is very simply, if you don't feel like reacting, like somebody asks a question or puts a, puts a, a proposal out there, use the words, I would like some time to think about that. You know, take the opportunity to not react. You have to acknowledge that you heard the person, that you are going to get back to them, but you do not have to react and give yourself the ability to defer the answer. So I'm giving you the confidence to say, you know what, I'm not confident to answer right now, but I will get back to you when I am confident to answer. And that in of itself, man, that's the monkey off the back. Right? And now it's hard. You're right. It's an extroverted world. Your anonymous person is absolutely right. We expect people to be like, thinking on the feet. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Not everyone can do it. Not everybody wants to do it. So the people who feel like I need more time to process this, whatever it is, this information, what my answer is going to be, lean into that and lean into it without being ashamed. That's okay. I'm giving you not only permission, I'm encouraging you to do that. Can you do it all the time? If you're a public speaker, probably not. If you're a salesperson, probably not. So that's part of picking the right career lane too, is knowing that if you're in a career, in a job path that allows you that mindfulness, that's gonna suit your personality and your needs better. You have to respect that. I think you should respect it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, well, we definitely know went over 30 minutes, but this is <laughs> such a good episode. The questions the students asked, were definitely better than my questions. So kudos to all my students getting it out of the park uh, with the questions. Alyssa, I'm going to give you um, opportunity. Is there anything that we should have talked about that I just failed to ask you? Oh my God. That's, that's the worst question of all my friend. I, you know, I, yeah, you honestly, say you can, you, we you, both love, we both love. I, I will say this is, is, you know, I remember making that leap from the college crib, so to speak, you know, knowing what you had to do every day, what your goals were, what your job was, so to speak, to the real world. And I hate that phrase, the real world. Like, what is that? None of it's real. It's all what we decided it is. And it's scary, but you will do it. You'll be fine. I'm telling you because we all do it. And I want people to realize this. At a moment, you have that confidence crisis where you're going, I can't do this. Remember that millions of people who are less competent, less growth-minded, less able than you are, have done it and done it fine. It is a scary moment at, at best, and that's all it is. You know, My son, Zach, I mentioned him earlier, took his first real job, I know it's kind of funny, recently. Um, I won't even give a plug to the place, it's a chain. And, and I, you know, he came home kind of like, mom, it's like all these rules and I don't know what to do. And I was like, dude, you know what? People figure this out, you can figure it out too, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to make you feel less confident, 
but you'll get through it. And at the end, you're going to look back and go, that sucked, but it was a great experience. So just keep the faith. It's all going to be okay. Love it. Well, I will put your LinkedIn uh, link to the students listening to connect to you. I think that is, you said that was the best way to connect with you. Uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast, sharing your knowledge, you know, giving me more confidence about what I do. I appreciate all the kind words. And um, again, good luck on the launch of the book. I know that it's going to be around the time that we, we, we uh, make this podcast live, but thank you so much. Uh, you, you've, you've truly been amazing. Oh, right back at you, man. Thank you so and much, Daniel. No, thank you. And everybody listening, thank you so much. And catch you guys on the next episode. All right, my friend, congratulations for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. In the age of short attention span, this speaks volumes of you. So now, if you found value in this episode, that I am sure you're going to find value in the Mastering College to Career Academy. So if you want to learn more a little bit about that academy, go to masteringcollegetocareer.com or just send me a message. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys all on the next episode.